Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Alcina Lloyd, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today, you'll be listening to a Real Trends crossover episode that features an interview with Remax president Nick Bailey. During the episode, Bailey discusses Remax lean into digital tools such as machine learning, the company's growth strategies, and some recent industry trends. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. At TMS, we believe in building relationships and helping to grow happiness. It's what we do best. Let us show you that efficient and transparent communication exists in subservicing. Switching from your current subservicer to TMS couldn't be easier. Learn more today at subservicing.themoneysource.com. This is Tracy Velt, Managing Editor for Real Trends. Today you'll be listening to an exclusive interview with Nick Bailey, President of Remax LLC, which includes the recent acquisition of the North American offices of Remax Integra. Nick is no stranger to executive roles, having served as Century 21 CEO and prior to this current position as Remax Chief Customer Officer. So welcome, Nick. Thanks, Tracy. Always nice to be with you. Yeah, great. So you've had a whole month of being the president under your belt. So I wanted to talk to um, you a little bit about the recent acquisition of Remax Integra and what that means for the brand in general. Yeah, so this is the largest acquisition in the company's history, and it really means that 19,000 agents that were Remax Remax agents before are coming into the company-owned uh, operations. Remax Integra has operated in nine states in the U.S., five provinces in the eastern side of Canada, and they run our European operations. And so uh, they have been uh, with us for 40 years as independent regional owners, and for various reasons, uh, we have regions that come to us, and it's a natural progression in franchising. Um, Dave and Gil Leninger built this company on um, having folks invest in entrepreneurs that built out certain parts of the country and the world. And this is an opportunity for them to come back in under the company-operated umbrella. So we're great. thrilled about it. Yeah, it's great. And I want to be clear, this doesn't include Canada or Europe as part of the company-owned right now. It's just North America? Yeah, so Canada will be included. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. It, it will be. And, okay. and we have run Western Canada as a company-operated region for many, many years. Okay. And so okay. the beauty of this is we're combining Eastern Canada mm-hmm. and our Western Canada so that we'll be operating most all of uh, English-speaking Canada under the company-operated regions. Quebec is the one that will remain uh, independently run. Okay, great, great. So um, obviously, we talked not that long ago, and you said you're in a race to 200,000 agents, and you're currently around 140,000, if that hasn't changed in the last month, which it probably has. Um, and you've, <laughs> I know you've targeted experienced agents in the past. So does that mean your strategy is changing and tell me about what your strategy is, and, and if it is changing, what are you changing to? Yeah, I love the question. And no, the strategy from experienced agents is not changing. However, as so many know in this industry, rewind the clock to 2007, there were 1.4 million realtors in the US, and that fell very, very quickly during the Great Recession and went down to north of 900,000. Uh, we lost about 34,000 licenses. And now, over the last decade of a run up in a seller's market, NAR announced last year they've hit an all time high of membership, tipping close to 1.5. So we've had a lot of 
new people come into the business. The barriers of entry of getting a real estate license are low. Um, and yet at the same time, we maintain that uh, the fact that a REMAX agent is two to one uh, on productivity compared to our next closest competitor, uh, major advantage. Um, I talk about this all the time. 87% of real estate agents fail. And that means 87% that get a license don't have it five years later. That's a huge churn rate. And I, I always say that there's one reason. There's no get-rich-quick scheme in this business. You're a successful agent because you sell a lot of houses. You help a lot of families, and that's what we are about and will continue to be about. Yeah, and I think we talked last about per-agent productivity. I know in the 500 rankings, four, I think, out of the top five had the highest uh, – or four REMAX offices out of the top five in the rankings had the highest per-agent productivity rate. So it's obviously – obvious that you focus on that a lot. Yeah, and it's uh, – those four offices that you mentioned are even double of what our average is. I mean, they're yeah. really high-producing agents, and uh, we believe that the buyers and sellers are best served by a strong, full-time real estate professional. Okay, great. Um, there's a lot of outside money helping to drive the growth <laughs> yes, of some of your competitors. So what are your thoughts about this trend and, and how do you see it impacting REMAX's growth in certain markets, if at all? Well, our acquisition that we just discussed is a great example of uh, we've been public in the public markets for about seven years and it's afforded us our ability to do key acquisitions in technology, data services, geospatial, and now, of course, one of our very own is an independent region. And so there has been an influx. A lot of capital has rolled into our space in tech, new brokerages, new entrants to the space. Um, and, and so it's been interesting to see some of the um, businesses or the business plans or the way they go about it enter the market. But going back to kind of the foundation, I think that moving forward in the next three to five years, I get asked this all the time, and the word disruption always comes up in our business. Uh, and I look at it and say that the one thing, especially the last year and a half, you know, pandemic really shined a light on, put the hardship of, of that many had aside the importance of the real estate agent to a buyer and seller. They want them. 94% of consumers use them. They don't transact often enough. And so I believe that the next three to five years is going to be agent-led, but technology-driven. Yeah. And tech has been part of, of our, our organizations for many, many years. But I still think we're on the forefront of how it's going to um, really change the fact that the agent isn't going anywhere. Buyers and sellers are still going to want them. But Agents still want a better, more efficient environment, and consumers want a more transparent, easier process. Yeah. And I think we're on the front end of that. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you saw the CNN article about why it's not a good time to become a real estate agent, um, but we were kind of looking at the data, and the data shows that agents are selling the same amount. There's more agents selling the, the exact same amount. Um and it is a good time to be a real estate agent. So talk to me a little bit about that and your thoughts. Uh, it's funny. We're doing a 15-city uh, speaking tour with some of the, the large coaches in the industry. We're right in the middle of it. And I've asked every audience, uh, those that were around selling during the Great Recession, do you think that market was harder or this one? Of course, everybody says this one because that one was far enough in the rearview mirror. Uh, but the reality is you're exactly right. Agents are making money, but yet the challenges that they're dealing with with buyers, multi-offers, we have more agents than listings in this country. Uh, they're just a different set of challenges. But the idea that when more agents come into the business, that one or two or three deals get peeled off and go to, go to Uncle Tom that got his real estate license, okay. it happens. 
And at the same time, uh, this is where the, the agent efficiency piece, I think, is absolutely crucial. There, only seven years ago, there were around four and a half million leads generated in our business. There's a hundred million a year generated now. And so I'm seeing agents try to use tech, but they're spending a lot of time, money, and energy figuring out out of a hundred million quote leads generated, who are the six million that are actually going to buy or sell? And that's where I think this digital transformation in the next few years is really going to open the doors to AI machine learning. And truly, it's not that the tech doesn't exist. It's the mindset of the industry has always said, or many have said, Fort Knox around my data. Um, and we're going to find out that that's not the key to the future, in our opinion. It's really how do you lean into the digital transformation and some of these tools to figure out, don't chase time and money and worthless energy on the $100 million. Let's figure out who the six are that really want to buy or sell. And that's where we're going. And I know you're doing some things with that right now. Do you want to tell me a little bit about um, some of the products or uh, things that you're offering? Yeah, our first one that we acquired about a year and a half ago is an app uh, called First. It's called First by Remax now. And it was open to the entire market. And it essentially is all about how to find listings. And is that not the hottest topic for an agent right now yeah. is how do I get listings? And, and I saw a recent survey that said 78% of homeowners right now have selling on their mind. Who knew the home office was going to be the number one feature of a house, right? Uh, but everyone's thinking in, uh, about their house differently. So this app, what it does is it is a collection of over 240 million locations in the U.S. We have approximately 750 data points on each one of those. Translation, it's a lot of public data that's available to anyone that wants it. It's just how you put it together. And then through AI and machine learning, it essentially predicts of your database as an agent, whoever's in your phone or in your CRM, who's going to possibly list their house or most likely going to list their house in the next three to six months. And that really is taking what I just mentioned, sifting through all the folks that are maybe not a lead this year um, and finding out who really is going to be coming to the market. And that's great. We just released stats a few weeks ago. Of course, this was a new product for us last year. And uh, in the first couple thousand agents that were using it last year, um, it accurately predicted 33,000 listings, of with, which was in their database. Sounds like a small number, but it's only a select number of agents actually came to the market and sold. Oh, that's great. Um, and the productivity year over year on an uh, agent that's using it is 9% higher. And just overall, someone that engages in this type of platform is 50% more productive. So these are real numbers associated with real life contacts in your sphere. And every agent knows when you sell someone a home and you drive by four years later and there's your competitor sign in the yard, you say, ah, why didn't they call me? And so the idea that it can we don't just focus on the dump truck of 100 million leads, but it's also repeat and referral business. Um, make sure that you never lose the lifetime value of a client. Yeah, and that's the key. Um, the The problem is <laughs> that not all agents embrace this type of technology or actually even go to their database um, on a regular basis to, you know, to, to, uh, generate those leads. So are you doing anything different to encourage the use of some of this technology? Yeah. Part of it is, uh, obviously the education behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, there is somewhat of a fear around data, how these things work. And I have a good friend that's in the industry last week. He said, you know, I get in my car and I push on the gas. I'm not sure exactly what happens when I do that, but I just know it makes the car go. And I think that's where I see the technology like this 
with our heads allowing not to be scared that our devices are listening to us or not to be afraid of what this does, but the idea of just open it and not only use tech, but we have great success stories of uh, an agent last year I interviewed um, just recently. She got $13 million in volume closed off of listings from this tool, but she didn't just use the tool. In the summer, she dropped off lemonade kits. She taught, she prioritized, here are the top 50 people that are in my database, may or may not have bought a house or listed a house in the past, but they're in her database. When the holidays came around, the top 50, that's who she prioritized holiday gifts to. And so it really comes down to um, using the modern day of where the industry's going. The agent's going to look the same, if you will, but the transaction itself and how you identify is what's going to, in my mind, look the most different five years from now. And the folks that are leaning into and adopting this are going to save themselves a lot of time and energy from uh, maybe wasting time for people that aren't going to buy or sell. Yeah. So you're you're basically going for more of a testimonial um, you know, sell to the agents show, you know, and actual showing them, look at, look at what it can actually do for you. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's pretty simple technology, I assume. And- yeah, it, yeah, very simple. And I think the most powerful, um, um, component of it is when you set it up, you log into your MLS, you put your MLS ID and password in, and it has a push notification and a list of missed opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, Tracy, when you list your house and I had sold it to you and you list it with somebody else, it pops up uh, while I'm sitting at a stoplight and says, "Uh uh-oh, someone you know in your database listed their house with someone else. That hurts a little bit. But it's also a constant reminder that survey after survey of buyers, over 90% say they'd use their agent again. Yeah. Less than 10% do. Yep. And so we really look at trying to solve that gap because Mm -hmm. even if you only solve 50% of it, Wow! Look what could happen to your productivity. Yeah, um, and so that's how we're that's how we're thinking of it. Okay, great. And I'm going to need the name of that agent to talk to her. Her name him. is Brandy Liss. Okay, um, she's in Galveston, Texas, okay. and her average price is two hundred fifty thousand. Okay, so when I say thirteen million, we're not talking yeah. you know Aspen and she did two deals. Yeah, um, this is someone that churned out um, yeah. a lot of transactions. I as love a those stories. So yeah, I'll definitely be calling her. Um, so let's talk COVID. It's everybody's favorite subject, right? Um, but it brought about a lot of changes to the industry. Really, it just it just moved the industry forward a little quicker, I think. It, I don't really consider them changes. I think a lot of people were already doing some of this. It just forced it forced agents to really embrace technology a little bit more and it, it just pushed forward the what what brokers already wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of shifts have you seen in the industry and do you see them as lasting? Yeah. uh, Such a good question. I get asked all the time, what's here to stay and what was temporary? Uh, You're right. Some of the technology, most of the technology wasn't new. Just getting people to turn on their camera without thinking they're going to do a glamour shot. Um, Now I wish people would comb their hair a little bit, but you know, before they were saying, oh my gosh, I'm not dressed. My hair's not perfect and everything's not perfect. We're realizing that we can show up in a video way, whether it be live or recorded, and be comfortable with ourselves. We've got to be comfortable seeing and hearing ourselves, and people resisted it. Here's the part that we can't forget. Not only did agents get more comfortable, consumers did too. My wife hadn't used Zoom, but she had Zoom wine parties, uh, and so consumers got an upgrade in tech as well. Mm -hmm. Many of of consumers had never even touched some of this technology before or even thought that they'd ever be finding themselves using it. 
So what's here to stay is the pendulum always swings one way, and it did because it was forced. It's not going to swing all the way back, but it lands in the middle. Here's one of the number one things that I think is here to stay, uh, and it's simple. Online search experience and virtual tours. Let me use that as one prime example. Uh, at the time, only 10% of listings had virtual tours. That number doubled to 20. And when I say virtual tours, not the static images put to funeral music and just loops through, <laughs> right. you know, zooming in and out. Not that, but a true ability to feel like you're walking through. And uh, for the most part, the vast majority of listings were over 4,000 square feet or over a million dollars that had that type of tech. Well, I think consumers at all price ranges are going to demand that it's not just at a certain price range that they have that experience, but they're now accustomed to using it. Yeah. And so if agents aren't comfortable capturing it, mm -hmm. costs have come down, the tech has gotten easier, they can outsource it. But that's the type of thing that I believe that the digital online experience, even just as simple as home showings, virtual tours weren't new before the pandemic. No. But I believe that... If agents are looking at their online digital resume right now, thinking about a year from now, uh, they should think about consumers are watching their activity, seeing how you market a home. And it's the modern way of how when I sold real estate, it was like me getting a full page ad in Homes Illustrated. Right. I don't know if I tracked. I didn't. Let's be honest. I didn't track if I got the buyers from the grocery store or the gas station. What I cared about is I got to put this big, beautiful magazine in front of a potential uh, seller, a homeowner, and say, look how I'm going to market your house. And we're in the modern day of that. And agents that are thinking about their digital online resume are going to be the ones that win more listings um, as days on market go up and as uh, as things don't fly off the shelves like they are now. Yeah. And I want to talk to you about that same thing from a brokerage perspective. Um, what, are, what are you seeing brokers do, um, you know, I know they've done the sales meetings and gotten great turnout and then it kind of dwindled some when people got back to work on that or they were always at work, but back out. Um, so what, what are some of the trends you're seeing as far as, uh, for brokerages and brokerage leaders in that same arena? Yeah, I think we're going to see uh, a hybrid to it. I don't think it's one one or the other. You're totally right. We experienced it as well. People didn't have a choice, so they had to tune in. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was just on a, a meeting with an office five states over a few minutes ago. Didn't warrant me buying a plane ticket and dropping in, but sure nice to see them face to face and not just be on a call saying, you know, stum stumbling on each other. Uh, but I firmly believe that at the end of the day, this is a, a relationship-driven business. It will continue to be. And being on this 15-city uh, speaking tour, being here live at uh, Gathering of Eagles, it's in our DNA. It's how we are as agents. It's how we are as our industry. We love to see each other. But what now getting comfortable with um, some of the things we dealt with is efficiency. Yeah, I had a top, top agent, um, sells millions and millions of dollars in real estate. And he used to do price changes face-to-face -face only. Mm. He thought it was important that he be in front of the client. He said, I spent about three hours a week doing that. He's going to do those only via Zoom or the like. He said, that part of it, I can still, quote, be face-to-face, -face, but I don't need to spend three hours a week in the car. Is he going to do every listing presentation on Zoom? No. Is he going to use it for a little bit of efficiency mm -hmm. where people will meet him? Yes. And I think that's that's here to stay. Yeah, I definitely agree. The hybrid model is um, is really the best of both worlds. And uh, we have record turnout here at the gathering, and that's because people are dying to get out. And <laughs> it's been really great seeing people in person. Um, and it just – it does make a big difference. So – 
It so, does. Yeah. And, and we have folks, uh, some of our employees that uh, they code, they program they would love to sit in their basement for the rest of their lives. <laughs> right. And there are going to be those those people. Yeah. Uh, but I think when you look at real estate with what we do and how we interact, um, brokers with their agents, agents with their consumers, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be a face-to-face business. Yeah. Um, but what it's going to also do is not make people afraid of using some of these um, technologies that are getting easier and easier to use every single day. Yeah, Definitely. Um, so my second last question is what are some trends you're seeing in the market right now? Everybody, you know, there, people are saying, is there a bubble? Is there a housing crash? Um, there's so many conflicting economic indicators right now that it's confusing and I'm not sure anyone can actually predict it, but what are your thoughts on the market in general? Yeah. Number one, let's address bubble because we are hearing that word. I think we, we got it from the recession because something did break, right? A wrecking ball hit the industry. Here's something that's major, major difference now compared to then. 34% of houses in the U.S. don't have a mortgage. 64% have positive equity. The biggest difference is even though look at the refi boom that happened last year, but the cash out refinance wasn't the leading product like it was 12 or 13 years ago. Bottom line is homeowners aren't using their house as an ATM machine. And so because there is uh, essentially 97, 98% of all houses in the U.S. have positive equity, um, even if we don't go up double-digit appreciation every year, even if it levels off a little bit, some markets we think, as they always do, go up more than others, uh, I think most homeowners are in a good overall position. Um, Days of market are going to go up. But the number one trend I've been seeing over the last um, four to five weeks, starting to see um, price reductions. Mm -hmm. Things hit the market and two weeks later, we're reducing it. Reminds me of 06 when we were in a huge seller's market. The sign went in the yard, multiple offers, not as intense now. Mm-hmm. It's even probably two or three X that today. But then you said, oh, I saw my neighbor's house sell for this. I can't believe it. And now we're seeing listings come on it. Not aggressive prices that'll sell, but ridiculous prices that now people are saying, oh, well, let's just try it. And I'm already seeing um, early signs of that. Okay. Um, and we're not going to see the refi boom. But you have to look at household formation. Mm-hmm. has been at the highest run-up rate um, that we've likely ever seen, especially yeah. in our generation or our lifetime. Um, and five years ago, people said millennials are going to rent and ride in Ubers forever. Yep. Wrong. <laughs> um, not true. And so household formation demand is extremely high. Rates go up a little bit, cool it off, speed it up. But rates are going to have to go up to, to um, keep inflation in check. But they're still extremely favorable. Yeah. Um, new construction just didn't keep up as fast. And so we're going to continue to see new construction. But overall, I think uh, whether we put 6 million transactions through the pipe this year, maybe 5.7 the next year, uh, I don't expect that we're going to have a wrecking ball through the industry. I think we're going to just have lots of levers that come in and play with heating up, cooling off. Um, But we did shove first and second time move up buyers, a lot of them through the funnel over the last year that weren't expected because of rates. Um, and I think that'll drive uh, a little bit of a retraction of total transactions um, next year and the year after. Okay. And I lied. I'm going to ask you one more question before my final question. <laughs> you said second uh, to the last, so you were right on. Uh, so um, basically, there, you know, NAR came out with this. We have a huge affordability problem. Obviously, that's no secret. Um, we have a housing shortage. That's no secret. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on on that? And what do you think needs to be done to to close that gap? 
Yeah, it's it's certainly not easy, and I don't think anyone has a magic wand. But what we are seeing um, already, look at even in your major metropolitans or your high-density areas, uh, they're coming together and, and changing zoning um, to allow for some of these changes and new things to be built. Uh, we saw early in the pandemic with commercial. There were hotels, even here in Denver, that uh, uh, went into low-income housing projects. Uh, there's projects in San Francisco where the first two or three levels are now commercial, and the whole top eight floors of the building are residential. We're starting to see some of that in, in high-density areas. Um, so really, the affordability is, generally speaking, not in rural areas. Affordability is generally your high-density populations. So you're seeing zoning. You're seeing new construction. And I think what's slowing it down was um, lumber prices yeah. and the cost of building. Now, last month, uh, everyone panicked because everyone forecasted and didn't see the 9.5% drop in housing starts. Yeah. But yet permits were up 0.3%. And so I believe it was just uh, not that uh, housing starts were down, but they were delayed. Yeah. And I think you're going to see more attention put into uh, the things around building and construction as look at futures in the last three weeks have dropped 50% yeah. for lumber. And so we're going to see some of those things stabilize. Uh, we just can't get stuff out of the ground fast. Enough. Yeah, and I, I've talked to several um, builders and contractors, and they've all said that right now they have a labor shortage. Um, so they're struggling to get enough people to work on the projects that they have. And I think that's going to change too. I think that we're going to see that. And that was predicted. Um, the Home Builders Association, the year before when they surveyed all of their brokers, 72% were worried about labor. Mm -hmm. And we're going to continue to. Yeah. Um, so I, you asked me the magic answer. Uh, I don't know if I gave it to you. So see, it wasn't your last question. And uh, But I, I think that as we look and focus on these areas, we're going to see some of those levers be able to move a little bit. Yeah. Additionally, we're not going to see double-digit price appreciation year over year in most markets. Yeah. Some of the hot ones, but... Parts of the Midwest never were over 3 to 5%, and some of them were up 10, 12. Uh, so I think as those rates cool off, uh, you'll start to see some level of affordability um, start to come back into play. Yeah. So here's my real last question. Okay. My real last question is, <laughs> tell me what the future holds for REMAX. Um, you know, what are some of the things you're excited about, the opportunities you see? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm most excited about. And uh, as you know, my background was kind of interesting. As an agent, I still have a brokerage license, but then I got to go work the tech side, consumer side, mm -hmm. was an executive with uh, Truly and Zillow. And so I get to look through the lenses a little differently. Uh, and, and we go to events like your conference here, uh, one of my favorites, by the way. And we talk about kind of the fear of innovation. We say, oh, this industry is moving so fast. It really, I don't think, does move that fast. I think it could move a lot faster. And I think as we look at um, the growth, the key acquisitions that we've made as an organization to adopt the subjects that we've talked about a few minutes ago, is we still have an awesome ability to really change the consumer experience and make an agent way more efficient. Um, and I don't know if people get excited about it. I do because of the idea of from one company is afraid that their device listens to them and still is afraid of where their data goes. And then we're the exact opposite that is saying, that horse has left the barn, we're on the back nine, whatever cliche you want to use. And we can just rapidly accelerate um, some of the innovation, agent-led, technology-driven. And uh, I think the market's going to respond to it very, very well. well. Great. Well, it was great speaking with you, Nick. Thanks for being on the Real Trending Podcast. It's always a pleasure to uh, meet with you, and I'm glad we got to do it in person. Likewise, an honor. So yeah. thanks for having me. 
On September 27th and 28th at the Omni Hotel in Frisco, Texas, Housing Wire will host its second annual event, which will be in person for the first time. Housing Wire Annual offers each guest the opportunity to gather with top industry professionals for exclusive content, technology demonstrations, and unbeatable networking. Find out more by going to the events tab on the Housing Wire site. You won't want to miss out on this event, so register by September 20th. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk daily. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. Make sure to tune in tomorrow.